by law. Children are supposed to support their parents. There's even a law, there is a bill that states children must care for their parents, for their spiritual needs as well as their physical needs when they grow older. People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you. All right, Niemann Hau guys and welcome to the next episode of Dragon for Your China. My name is Eric and today I will talk about Chinese families, kids, couples and everything around family and the reason simply is that well, you might have heard of the increasing divorce rate in China, especially boosted by the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus. And so I think it makes sense to talk a bit about this topic. What does a typical family in China look like? What are typical relationships in China like today? And why and how is it different from the West? And is there maybe even a chance to learn from the, let's say, family and relationship set up in China? But first, let me talk a bit about the divorce rate. And uh, yeah, as I said, that's related to the coronavirus as well. This topic caught a lot of attention in media. Of course, it's a very interesting topic for all of us because, uh, yeah, we can partly relate to that. And so let me first, uh, yeah, review the facts a bit. So what actually happened is that because of this home quarantine, um, some people called it the second honeymoon because of the um, self-quarantine and enforced lockdown measures, people and couples were basically enforced um, to spend more time together inside. And as we know in China, apartments generally are smaller than in the West. That means actually you have less space per person and so you're even sticking around much closer and have less personal freedom. And apparently this led to a few tensions and what happened now is that the uh, divorce rate in China really spiked. So many people, once they could leave the house again, the first thing they did is going to the city hall and getting divorced. Actually, I'm not sure if you get divorced at a city hall in China. Um, That's more metaphorically. But uh, what happened is that the appointments for divorces are basically fully booked out. So now if you want to get um, divorced, uh, you probably have to wait first. And um, yeah, China actually was hoping a bit for rather a baby boom. They thought, well, if people stay inside, they uh, yeah might do something good for China and create a second baby if you want so. What happened instead is a divorce explosion. And uh, I remember there was even, uh, I saw a big banner in China where they said basically, um, do something good for China, support China, stay at home and make a second child. Regarding the divorce trend, I think it's a very natural thing. And I would be surprised if similar things do not happen in the West as well. But I have to say that in China, a lot of couples are extremely busy, busy with their jobs. So they're working more, they're more in the office than in the West. So they spend less time together, actually. But what happened now is they see each other basically 24 hours per day in a yeah quite small space. And that's a perfect scenario for potential conflicts and for disagreements between couples. And um, 
a lot of guys, to be honest, in China, they also have, let's say, more than one wife. They might have their mistress or something. So also there are a few cases reported where this came out because you cannot hide it anymore so easily. And what I believe is that the virus is simply going to uncover every single weakness of an individual or the society. If you're not financially solid, you will have issues now. If your health is not good, you're at really high risk now. If your leisure activities are not diversified enough and are too monotone, you will suffer now. And most importantly, if your relationships are not healthy, that can be with your girlfriend or boyfriend, that can be with your family or whatever, if they haven't been healthy prior to the virus, it's not going to be better afterwards. This touches every area of life. And of course, with regards to relationships and marriages, it can be quite serious, especially if kids are involved. And that is what happened in China. However, the question now is, well, we know that the divorce rate in China increased during the COVID-19, but what's the normal situation? Are divorces and breakups that uncommon in China? Are they so traditional? And here I have to say that there's a similar trend like in the West. The number of couples who get divorced has increased continuously since 2000, and it grows about 0.5% every single year. There are a few statistics saying that in Shanghai, for instance, I would say that's the most western city in entire China, the divorce rate is as high as 30% now. And that is very close to what I know from the West. I know in German cities, also around one third of couples get divorced sooner or later. So you see that there's a certain adjustment of these levels and that this is somehow natural. Yeah, especially as it is more accepted nowadays, whereas in back in the day they said, okay, um, family and tradition over my personal life, this has changed. A lot of couples, if they feel very uncomfortable, if they feel like my life going to be ruined if I don't change something, they go for it. Even though in China you have more issues with that because if you're a divorced woman, for example, it might be much harder to um, find a boyfriend again or even to get married. But some people say, you know what, that's still better than having a screwed life. Despite all these breakups, we could still see a, let's say, post-quarantine baby boom later this year in China. Quite easy to measure. Uh, if there are a lot of newborn babies around December, then you know that um, this had at least on this side a positive effect. Why do I say positive effect if I say more babies? Well, China in this case also has a similar trend. Like in the West, there are less and less newborn babies. Some people are not aware of this because China still has the largest population in the world with around 1.4 billion people. But the uh, one-child policy, which was established around 1980, um, yeah, definitely already led to a reduction in newborn babies and even though the government established a two-child policy in 2016, it didn't really help much. So let's look on some interesting statistics. The fertility rate, which is basically the birth per woman in China, is around 1.7. It's quite constant over the past years and projections are that it's going to remain at this level. So every woman, on average, gets 1.7 kids. And if you look on the global list, then you see that this is 
very similar to Western countries. So China is in the lower part of the global list. And most of the other countries in this area with around 1.7, 1.6 are all Western countries such as the US, UK, Germany and so on. Whereas most of the emerging countries, especially African countries, are more in the upper section of this list. And that shows that there's a tremendous change in China. And um, yeah, there's even some further interesting statistics that say there's going to be a turning point with a shrinking population, which is reached in around five years from now. So in 2025, you have actually China, which right now they are at a very constant level in regards to their overall population, but they're even going to shrink as old people pass away and there are less newborn babies. So this combination of shrinking birth rates and an aging population is of course a bit dangerous for the society. And now, why is it like that? What's the reason that people are having less babies? Well, it is pretty easy. They are expensive. As China is shifting from an agricultural society more towards a service, industrial, business, digital society, it is expensive to have kids because the importance of education is so high. And of course, the short-term and mid-term advantages are not that high anymore. So first, you have to, let's say, pay a lot of attention and invest a lot before you have any advantage. And that is very, very different from the previous society, where basically kids at a certain age could start to help their parents and literally create an income or ensure they can survive. So now let's go to family. What's the um, role of family and how does a typical family in China look like? I think that might be interesting. And you have to first say that family in China, and I'm generalizing here, but I believe family in China has a higher importance than in Western countries. Family is often even a kind of substitute for religion. It's a protection space and it's also a social system for a lot of people. So if you have financial issues, family is the first place to ask. Whereas in the West, people might even be embarrassed to ask their parents or brothers and sisters. They'd rather go to a bank, maybe. That is absolutely common. And family gives you a lot of security and a backup. You can always go back. And so I think in general, there's definitely higher importance. You can say that parents usually also, I'm not saying care more. That's not true. But they are paying more attention to the kids in terms of the education and support. And then later, kids pay more attention to their parents. They have to be there for them. They have to care about them. And interesting is that by law, children are supposed to support their parents. There's even a law. There is a bill that states children must care for their parents, for their spiritual needs, as well as their physical needs when they grow older. Is this law really necessary? Well, normally it happens quite automatically. Once you have a job, you're almost required to transfer money back to your parents once in a while. Even though they may be doing all right, you, it's kind of required. If you don't do this, well, you're really a bad son or daughter. Whereas if I would do this with my parents, they would be super offended and it would be like, what the hell, do you think we cannot take care of ourselves? And later when you grow old, you support them even more and also it is 
kind of common that when you marry, for instance, that the parents move in with the guy and his wife. So there's automatically more support. You normally buy a house and when you buy a house, you ask him to move in. That's at least the uh, traditional way. It can also change sometimes, especially since you have um, some kids now going abroad and so on. This is why actually parents don't like their kids to go abroad because they're afraid that they kind of lose uh, lose their support a bit and that they have other priorities because in a lot of cases parents are really eager to make sure that their kids know they are the priority number one and yeah simply because that is basically their retirement pension and so what you can basically say is the rule is what parents say when they get a baby they're gonna say or when they have kids they're gonna say I'm going to invest in you, I'm going to invest a lot in you, but you better do not disappoint me later and be a high return for my investment. When I say invest, then I mean both time and money. So in a lot of cases what happens here is that you have this only child setup and then kids become kind of spoiled. There's this term little emperor, so they get full attention, they get full focus, they get everything they they want basically, but of course they have to deliver, deliver performance and deliver success at the end for a family. That's just something that is I think interesting because in the West a lot of families they feel like despite the financial challenge maybe for the family, they think it's really important for their kids to grow up with other kids around them, not just in school or kindergarten, but also in the family to have at least two or three kids they feel like that's much better for their social development in china people don't normally think like this they rather focus on the development in terms of education and on a professional level rather than on this social level in the first place this is why you often have this setup so let's kind of summarize a bit and let's draw some conclusions why is the fertility rate in china compared below to other emerging countries I already mentioned one reason is the cost of education. Education in China is extremely expensive. And the problem here is without education, in China you are basically nothing. In the West, even if you're not, let's say you didn't graduate from the best school, you can you still have pretty good chances that you make it. Whereas in China it's nearly impossible. You have successful self-made people, successful business people who had a great idea. Absolutely. However, in China, the system is really like this. You have to first have a good Gaokao. Gaokao is basically the final exam at high school. So it is the necessary exam for going to university. And if you have a moderate result, then a lot of universities are totally out of the question for you. If I go further... You have to be at a top university or very good university if you want to make it. But of course, in advance, you are under constant pressures and your parents need to make sure you're going to reach it. So they have to invest a lot of money, a lot of time. They're going to hire private tutors for you. They're going to sit with you in the library all over the weekend. I know it's not just a Chinese thing. That also happens in other Asian societies, such as Japan, Korea, and probably a couple of more, but it's just something you should keep in mind. So in other words, it's just an extreme effort, and you can imagine 
If you have one kid, that's maybe somehow doable. If you have two or three kids, it's becoming very, very intense and very yeah, exhausting for, for parents. So that's the first reason, education. Second reason are, well, women are more goal and career driven than before. In China, women in business are very successful nowadays. And why in the West we still talk about ridiculous women rates in some companies and even put a lot of effort and time to show shareholders, look, our senior management has a 30% female rate and all these kind of nonsense. They're already doing it in a lot of countries and China is one of them. Not in all areas. Politics, for instance, in China is still a extremely male-dominated area. And this, I think, is not going to change that soon. And also Beijing as an entire city, for instance, is more male-dominated. But if you look on cities like Shanghai, for instance, it has changed already. In China, they are way more powerful than we maybe believe. We still have this very traditional picture in China. It is partly true in politics, but in a lot of areas, it was a very automatic and fast process because... Some of the women in China are so extremely driven, they're extremely good, they put sometimes also career over their, let's say, private and family life, but this led to this change and shift, and so this, of course, also why women have less, or some don't even have any babies at all, but even most of the successful businesswomen, I recently read a really interesting book about it, most of them have kids as well. So it's not like they're just uh, cruel business monsters without any social life, of course. And now we are coming to number three, why we have this low fertility rate. And number three, as I mentioned already, is the retirement system. So parents rather want to have one kid, but make it a huge success. This sounds a bit materialistic, but that's basically how it works. In the West, if you're from an academic family, chances are you're going to university too. Less than before, but normally it works a bit like this. You are pretty much, you might also end up there. But generally speaking, people in China have more this attitude that they think, my kid can do much better and I am going to do everything to enable that. So they might be quite poor, they might have not a proper education, but they feel like my kid can do it. So they literally spend every cent available for the education and for the improvement and development of their kid. It's partly selfish as well. It's not just because they want the best for their kid. They want to have a return later. So it's kind of their security against old age poverty. And they invest a lot in them. There are numbers that people spend around 30 to 50% of their disposable income for the education of their kids. I don't think in the West it's anywhere close to that. I don't think it's even 10% in a lot of cases. And that's all right, but they have a very, very different attitude here. In China, a lot of people, they they also don't envy other people. They think like, okay, he's rich today, I'm going to be rich tomorrow, or maybe my son is, but sooner or later we all catch up, and I'm going to do everything. I will maybe, I cannot escape anymore. I will do my taxi driver job until I die, but all the money I have, I'm going to invest for the future of my son. In the best case, it already pays back while I'm still alive. This is kind of the attitude here. Of course, you should not see a kid just as an investment because they're human beings and they are so much more. So sometimes we should step away from the economic factor here only. But 
As a matter of fact, it's always important when you think about family, relationships, and career, economics and finances always play a huge role. We cannot deny this, it's just like this. And in China, even more than the West, I think that's one of the major differences that I want to emphasize today, that this is always in mind when people think about education, also when they think about relationships, always something that comes into their mind and that is extremely important. All right, that's it for this episode. So this time a bit more about social life, about family, but I think it's interesting and absolutely necessary, first of all, to understand China better, but also maybe to take something away and to learn from them and to think about do a few things make sense or is the approach that I currently use, is it the right one? I think that's interesting. And if you have further thoughts on this or you think, one system is much better than another, let me know in my Instagram post about this episode and I'm happy to discuss this as well. All right, thanks for listening and I see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Dragonfolio China podcast. As you've kept listening until now, I assume you enjoyed the show and would appreciate a five-star rating on your podcast app, which allows other folks to learn about this important topic as well. For more fascinating insights into China and for easy ways to benefit, make sure to visit the website at dragonfolio.net and sign up for the free newsletter.